From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. Loyal listeners of this podcast know that we normally talk about appropriations and tax policy on this show, but they, the Congress is frozen and they can't really do anything without a House speaker. So here we are uh, two weeks in without a speaker and our energies have, have focused on if and when they can get a speaker. And so that's what we want to talk about today because not much else can happen without a speaker. Joining me for that conversation, I have Aiden Quigley, an appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me. And Laura Weiss, a tax policy reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Laura. Thanks. Great to be here. So it's been a chaotic two weeks. Both of you have been doggedly pursuing lawmakers uh, day and night over the past week, especially as they try to sort out, uh, as House Republicans try to sort out how in the world they can agree to get a speaker. Uh, it's such a divided conference, a lot of backbiting, a lot of bad blood there. We thought Steve Scalise would be the, the new speaker, the House Majority Leader, when he won the GOP nomination. But he couldn't get the votes, and so he had to back out. Then just uh, Friday, I think it was, they nominated Jim Jordan, the one-time firebrand and staunch Donald Trump uh, ally. He emerged with the nomination, but it was a squeaker of a, of an, of a nomination fight. He got 124 votes in a caucus of 221 members, way short of a majority. Even when they even when they forced another vote to gauge his support on the floor, it only edged up to 152 votes. He's well short of what he needs to be speaker. This thing is looking uglier and uglier by the day. So where are we? What do we expect unfolds from here? Uh, it's really been head spinning. Hard to think of an of a of a speaker's race being this contentious before, but boy, this one is. So, um, folks, what should we expect this week? Yeah. So I think so far, you know, what we know is happening is we know that tonight Republicans are going to get together, meet again, we, and then tomorrow, uh, at this point, they say planning to go to the floor uh, for a vote on the speaker. We'll yeah, see we should say happens. we should say this is Monday as we tape in case folks listen another day. But they do plan on huddling uh, Monday night uh, to come up with a new game plan or another reaffirm their game plan for Jim Jordan, whatever the case is. And then they're pressing for a vote on the floor on Tuesday. Uh, Laura, can you count on that vote? Yeah, so but I think. We'll see if it happens. I definitely don't think it's locked in stone at this point. Nothing is in the speaker's race. That's really a whole unprecedented situation right now. But I think what either happens is, you know, if Jordan isn't shoring up the support, could decide to wait. But I think there could also be a strategy here where Jim Jordan wants to go to the floor. The votes so far that have happened that are showing this big gap in support have been secret ballot. So there may be a desire to make people vote on the record with their names publicly and see where they are, because a lot of the folks that are uncomfortable with Jim Jordan becoming speaker 
are not the typical types who break with the party. When Steve Scalise was nominated, McCarthy was ousted, a lot of those folks who were opposing them were the sort of folks who tend to be okay with bucking the party, members of the House Freedom Caucus, or other members who just have been very, very willing to take unusual public stances to sort of bring their party's plans crashing down. Uh, Jim Jordan may be more willing to test some of these folks who, whether it's because they really were frustrated with how Steve Scalise was treated or because they have concerns about how Jim Jordan would be as a speaker, he may be more willing to put them to the test. Aiden, how do you see it? What what should we expect? I think Laura made a really good point there in the sense that, you know, for Jordan, bringing it to the floor would make a lot of sense because the people opposing him, as Laura said, including some of the appropriators who I write about a lot, are people who want the government to work. You know, they want Congress to function. They want the House to function. And not having a speaker, as we've seen for the past week and a half, really does kind of bring a halt to everything. We're a month and one day away from the November 17th funding deadline. And there's been, you know, the House was supposed to be working on appropriation bills the last last two weeks. And that obviously hasn't happened. Um, I, yeah, so I think I think it would make sense for Jordan and from his perspective to try to bring it to the floor. And we'll have to wait and see if the House strong and the 55 who say they'll oppose him, you know, if they hold strong or if, if they're able to get on board with the Speaker Jordan because... You know, Jordan could win. Could win tomorrow. I, I, you know, I don't think that that's an outlandish uh, idea. Yeah, that's certainly the hope of Jordan's supporters that I talked to was that was that if you force it to a public vote on the floor, all of a sudden some of these Jordan opponents might fade away because it's tougher to vote against him in public than maybe it was on a secret ballot, which is how they conduct their nomination fights behind closed doors. So. Their thinking is in a public vote on the floor, a lot of these no Jordan no votes would would switch to yes, just to get this over with, if nothing else, even if they don't like Jordan, right? Just to get it over with and get the house back in business. There's some merit to that, but you also have some people who do seem to be entrenched Jordan opponents who really resent him you know, for bucking the establishment for so many years uh, and for not giving what they consider his full support, I guess, to Steve Scalise, who did win the nomination first. It was striking to me, guys, how how weak Jordan was in the nomination fight. We thought initially this was Jim Jordan going up against nobody all of a sudden there was a last minute candidate by the name of Austin Scott, who I had to look up because I'll confess, I didn't even know who the guy was. I mean, he's a he's a Republican backbencher that no one has really heard of outside of maybe Georgia where he's from. No disrespect to Austin Scott at all, but I mean, not a well-known household name, makes a last minute entry to be speaker with no campaigning, no effort, you know, just hours old campaign he throws his name in the ring and he emerges with with 81 votes. I mean, made it a squeaker against Jim Jordan. I mean, that just shows you how weak Jordan's support initially was, right? I mean, that that was really striking to me. So, you know, Jordan has a lot of ground to make up. The question, I guess, now is, 
is this public vote on the floor going to be enough to, to do it? Or are we in for like maybe a week's worth of floor votes, right? As he as he whittles down the opposition vote by vote, sort of the way, you know, Kevin McCarthy did it that way, right? I mean, it took 15 rounds of voting for Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. So jumping back to Friday, the the result with Austin Scott was, was pretty surprising. You know, I, I was aware that there was a pretty strong anti-Jordan sentiment, especially amongst Scalise supporters who were basically making the argument that Jordan's supporters tanked the winner, the initial winner of the speakership in the conference, Scalise. You know, Scalise beat Jordan head-to-head. And Mario Diaz-Ballard made a really, he's an appropriator, state foreign ops chair. He made a really interesting point that, you know, he trusted he trusts Jim Jordan. And Jim Jordan says that he was trying to convince his backers to back Scalise. And in Diaz-Ballard's opinion, that calls into question Jordan's ability to controlled that wing of the party, the wing of the party that took down McCarthy, you know, the wing of the party that causes headaches on appropriation bills sometimes and, you know, tanked a rule vote on gas stoves after the debt limit. You know, those those types of folks who, you know, are the ones who were saying they're going to hold out for Jim Jordan and not vote for Scalise. So I think the Austin Scott vote was really kind of 81 votes for candidates who did no campaigning at all to be the speaker you know, Jim Jordan did not make up that much ground. And, and the second vote, will you back Jim Jordan on the floor? Of course, it's easier to vote to say no to that behind closed doors than it is in public. But that was also 55 Republicans saying they would not vote for him on the floor. That's that's a pretty a jarring number that is hard to overcome, you know. But to tie it back to the news of the day today so far, Mike Rogers, who's a really influential House Republican, he's the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. He's out today in favor of Jim Jordan. So maybe there is some momentum moving Jordan's way. But I think we'll know more on where people stand tonight when the House Republicans meet. We're up there talking to them. Yeah, Mike Rogers was a major flip, though, we should point out. I mean, he had been a hardline opponent of Jordan. And all of a sudden, he puts out a tweet that he's had talks with Jordan over the weekend and now he's convinced he's a good guy and he's going to vote for him. That was a major get for Jordan. Question is, will will others like Mike Rogers? Is that the start of a trend, or is that is that a one off and uh, won't mean much, right? Yeah, I, I think you've both made great points on this, and I think another factor here is, you know, these are people with very complex relationships, of course, and so. You know, we saw that Kevin McCarthy losing the speakership, a lot of that was frustration with things he did, but it was also some members of the Republican Party had for a long time said they just didn't trust him. He There were just some, you know, personal issues there. And, you know, we have heard that Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan may have better trust, both of them within the party, but there's sort of, I think, two aspects there. You know, the vote last week also came so quickly on the heels of Scalise dropping out. There may have been a strategy for Jim Jordan of let's actually get away from each other for a few days. Let's come back to Washington and see if we feel better about getting on the same page behind me. I think there also, you know, it felt like by the end of last week, the frustration, the tension was very palpable uh, among Republicans with each other. And I think, you know, the other aspect here is then the really tangible concerns and can Jim Jordan, you know, 
quell concerns about various aspects of how he's lead. He'll lead. He's a committee chairman, but he's not in leadership, which may be a huge selling point for some. But it also, you know, maybe that who knows how exactly he plans to handle some of the personalities here and some of the votes here. And I think for some of the more centrist members of the party, I think some of them may also be trying to work through how do we get to a situation where we're not constantly losing rule votes or, you know, having things go down on the floor, having these public battles that show that House Republicans are really on a lot of different pages. And to, to build off that from from the moderate perspective, there's always the campaigns to think about, you know, and the speaker, Jim Jordan, you know, there's definitely some fear from moderates that, that it would be hard to run for re-election in a swing district if if there's if Jim Jordan is a speaker, um, with a lot of attacks from from Democrats and he's definitely a very polarizing figure, uh, who has really been a figurehead for the Trump Republican Party in over you know, over the last seven, seven, eight years. So I think I think that he would really be the moderates are going to be a little squeamish about voting for him. But again, as we talked about earlier, they typically don't tend to take down leadership priorities or they want the house to function. That's, that's the main argument. So I, I, maybe they'll, maybe they will fold on this one. Yeah, you did. You know, we heard Democrats calling Jordan an insurrectionist, right? I mean, they're they're ready to attack him full force um, for his role in January 6th and Donald Trump, you know, voting to overturn the election results, all of that. Um, so that for sure makes Republican moderates squeamish and it, that makes them a tougher vote. But then the flip side, folks, is, you know, if not Jordan, who? Right. I mean, that, that's been the Republicans problem is who do they have that everyone can rally around? It, it doesn't it seems like uh, the names are dwindling here. There's not there's not somebody that everyone's gung ho to support. I think it might be a little too early to say that there's no one obvious at this moment, but I think if Jim Jordan were to struggle on the floor and face opposition to the scale or close to the scale they did on the secret ballot on Friday, we would see kind of a reset here. I think if you are a dark horse House Republican who's interested in being speaker waiting in the wings, I think it makes a lot more sense from your perspective. Instead of running against Jim Jordan on Friday, if you think Jim Jordan can't be can't get the votes to become speaker to let him go through this process, let him try to become speaker and then fail. Because if you are seen as a Jordan opponent, you lose many on the the people who are going to vote against Scalise eventually. You lose all those people from your attempt to become yeah. speaker in the next, whatever the next iteration of this is. So I, I'm not shocked that there's no one who's exactly basing their hand and running out in front of this at, at this specific moment in time. But I think after... If Jordan were to not get to 217 and drop out, it's a it's a clean clean slate refresh of a speaker's race where we're going to have some. I, I assume that there would be multiple people running and it would be contentious and it would be interesting to cover. Yeah, we have heard names floated, right? There are there are other names out there. Mike Johnson of Louisiana, who's well respected. Kevin Hearn, who heads the largest block of House conservatives, the Republican Study Committee from Oklahoma. He's talked about there there are other names out there and I can see they'd want to cool their heels and not promote themselves right now as this thing 
uh, with, with Jordan until this Jordan issue is resolved. So it's conceivable another candidate emerges, but um, it, it's not an easy climb for any of them. No, I, I think you're both right. And there was so much baggage coming into this speaker's race of the last, you know, week and a half plus, um, especially with the aftermath of McCarthy's removal um, and the, I think, almost mourning that some Republicans were going through and perhaps still are over that and frustration over that. Um, so, yeah, perhaps a, another candidate, almost someone uh, either going for it or sort of a reluctant person who consensus forms around, which is not, you know, we've seen before. It it could be that that emerges successfully. But yeah, the, the this will come back to the same problems of uniting a group of people behind someone who have different priorities and are not you know, have different ways that I think also they want to see the House operate. You have some folks in this party who really want to go as far to the right as they can, get that leverage, are very uncomfortable with compromise. And you have some folks who want to be seen as compromising in split government in Washington. So it's going to be hard to convince all of those folks that you're the person for that job. Yeah. And of course, the other reason this is sort of hard to follow, I think, for folks is that this is the ultimate inside baseball story, right? There's no real policy dispute here at, at play. There's there's no not even much of an ideological divide, you know, between, say, say, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. They're both pretty damn conservative. This is really about personal loyalties, personal histories, their personalities, their governing styles, really intangible stuff that's hard to articulate, which makes for outsiders looking in a really hard thing to, to decipher, I think, as to what's going on here. But, the, but it is an inside baseball game. And yet we're covering it because even here on the budget podcast, because with, we can't stress enough without a speaker in place, uh, they're hamstrung. They can't do anything in the House. Uh, so, you know, Aiden, where does this leave appropriations. As you said, we're bearing down on, I think we've got five weeks left before this November 17 deadline to get the government funded. Now what happens? Yeah. So I'm, my plan for Thanksgiving, unfortunately, very tentative at this point, because we're really staring at a situation where we'll have a speaker who, if it is Jim Jordan, it's safe to say he'll be way less likely than Kevin McCarthy was to put a CR on the floor with bipartisan support because that's what you need to keep the government open, which is just, it's so clear with this slim, you know, Republican majority and so many Republicans who say they will not vote for a CR. You need to work with Democrats. And Jim Jordan's priorities are way different from the Senate Democrats and Joe Biden, obviously. So I think we'll really be running into an issue where one, there's definitely not enough time to go through the entire appropriations process, negotiate with the Senate, et cetera. And two, there will be hesitancy, at least from Republican leadership to put a continuing resolution on the floor. Jim Jordan has already shown in, in during his time in Congress that he is willing to shut down the government. Maybe the fact that that didn't quite bring about the Republican policy changes he was hoping would have him considering a different strategy, which... He is, he is considering a different strategy. So so taking one step back here, 
Um, you know, his his pitch is that he wants to extend government funding until April, which is when there's this one percent cut kind of looming over with the debt from the debt limit law, where there will be a one percent cut to defense and non-defense, you know, across the board cut if full year appropriations are not passed by April. Defense hawks are worried about this because they that could be a one percent cut to defense, which Republicans absolutely do not want. You know, but Democrats will not accept a one percent cut to non-defense. But you know, not non-defense. Their non-defense priorities are really going to try to protect those at the same time. So it's hard to see a Republican House with such a slim majority when you do need Democrats to pass appropriations be able to pull off some kind of deal where there's a non-defense cut, but not a, you know, not a defense cut of the same, you know, same measure. It seems inconceivable that something like that's going to, going to have much legs and yet they're facing a November 17 deadline. It's, it's, it's not a, it's pretty worrisome sign. And then Laura, you cover tax policy. They always try for some sort of catch-all tax bill at the end of the year to, to, to extend a bunch of tax breaks and whatever other priorities they have, can that still happen? Yeah, I think the road to that gets harder every day. It's sort of a cliche among the DC tax world, but tax is just really, really hard to do for several reasons. Mostly you're putting together a tax package and everyone wants their tax priority as part of it. So typically it's much easier to pass a tax package when it's attached to something bigger that will help motivate the votes, help get people to accept what's in the package as is. And so often you're looking at an omnibus spending package or something like that is the best way to get tax to the president's desk. Uh, And so as something like that looks less and less likely, it becomes so much harder to do tax. It looks like there will be options of vehicles, but they're not as strong of legislation to put tax in as others. And then I think the other issue here is just time and energy and a will to do something that would have to be very bipartisan. If there's a deal on tax, it is going to be completely a deal between Democrats and Republicans. Now, there absolutely can be work on this while this you know, speaker's race wears on because this is something that senators are pretty motivated around. Uh, you know, Jason Smith is Ways and Means chairman, and from everything, I'm sort of, from what I can tell and what I've heard, he seems to be having a good start to his relationship with Ron Wyden, the finance chair. So we could see some some things starting to happen, but I think one thing is the Senate might have to take the lead. And so far, there are senators very interested in getting tax done. Specifically, Democrats want to see a child tax credit expansion very badly. And Republicans are very motivated to bring back a bigger R&D deduction and other business tax breaks that Democrats are also quite motivated for. So I think there's still a glimmer of hope, but it it just gets harder every day and harder as the appropriations process gets thornier. Yeah. All right. So a prediction from each of you, if I can, Will will we have a speaker a week from today? Who wants to who wants to go up in a limb first? I'll go first. Yes, we will have a speaker. They will work this out. Either it'll be Jim Jordan tomorrow or 
whoever the dark horse compromise candidate is who comes forward by Saturday, Sunday. That's that's that would be the time frame. It's bold, but we can, this can't continue forever. It has to. There has to be a, a resolution, and you know, I think I think it will be by the end of the week. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I maybe for all our uh, our sakes, but uh I think uh I think I agree that this will probably come to an end within the next week. I I think that the Senate coming back to town creates a pressure on the house to be functioning and I think you know if there isn't, I think we'll see more and more interest in what can Patrick McHenry do as the Speaker pro, pro Tempore. And I think that there will also be a, a resistance to giving him more power if that becomes the question. But I think there are certainly lawmakers here who are just getting to a point where, you know, they're leaving the meetings just so frustrated of I think Nicole Maliotakis, who's from New York, uh, kind of Staten Island and Brooklyn district, has been coming out saying the problem is there's not a Republican who five people won't say they're going to never vote for. And we just a real desire to get the House functioning. And I think that pressure only escalates with the Senate back in town. And to follow up on that idea, this can continue to drag on past this weekend it cannot continue to pass on past when the Senate passes an Israel aid package and sends it over to the Senate. You know, there's a supplemental coming this week. We expect the administration for aid for Israel for the war. And if that is sitting there waiting for the House to take it up with no speaker, it just really is it's difficult for me to imagine House Republicans continuing this. That'll be at least two weeks away. You know, I, I think that will be really a pressure point that causes this to get resolved. That's a good point, too. But there has been talk of, of giving the speaker pro tempore, the, the caretaker speaker, Patrick McHenry, extra power to actually take up some key legislation like aid to Israel on, in some bipartisan way. I have my doubts that that can actually happen or that McHenry is willing to do it. Uh, but that is, I guess, another option for, for dealing with urgent matters if this speaker's race is unresolved. I suspect you're both right, though. I'm hoping this is the last week of this as we enter week three. <laughs> it's about all I think we can take. But uh, the fortunate thing of being the host of this podcast is I don't have to make the predictions. So I'm going to leave it to you two to be out on a limb there and say, we'll have a speaker by next Monday so everybody can rest easy. That's all the time we have for today. If you like what you hear here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget Newsletter. You can, it, which hits your uh, email inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. We will be closely tracking the speaker's race all this week and for however long it takes. You can find all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. Thanks again to Aiden Quigley for joining me. Thanks, Aiden. Yep. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, ride around the hill with you this week. It'll be fun. And thanks, Laura Weiss, again for joining me. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. <laughs>